Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. 
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, film study with Ken McCusick, week 14, where we get to talk about the big test for the Ravens. We all know this team was built defensively to beat the Steelers, and it's what they focused all their offseason uh, focus on. Then they lost last night 38-39, to so we've got to break down that defense and talk about it. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I, I hate staying up past midnight for a loss. It's never fun. Yeah, you know it's a, it's a tough night for us too because we're we're up all night then analyzing the game after and it's it's a long night. I I you know what I can't imagine having to watch that game again. <laughs> and it's a emotionally draining game to watch, wasn't it? It's a game that it was a surprising game because finally the offense stepped up. Finally, the offense did their part, and we've got a defense that we've been wondering how good is this defense all season. And apparently they can't stop the Steelers. Well, it is one game. I'll, I'll start with that. But uh, a disappointing game at that. A lot of things didn't go right. Uh, but a couple things went right, and we'll talk about that as well. So uh, let's get right into it. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into it. And uh, let's jump. Let's just jump straight in. We can talk about the playoffs. You want to cover the playoffs now at the top or and where we stand, or you want to do that at the end? We can we can talk about it right now briefly. All right, a little bit of easy, positive to start the show. Yeah, the easiest way to talk about it is the Ravens need to win their next three games, and it, and it's not the only way they can get in, but it's the only automatic way they can get in. So if they win their three games, I have not been through every permutation of multiple tiebreakers, but I believe they are in if they win all three against either the Bills or against the uh, Chargers. But if there is could be a potential problem if there's a fall from grace for one of the AFC South teams. So anyway, they, they need to avoid multi-ways, but at 10-6, they're, they're likely in. And the, the Cleveland game is, by the way, there'll be an article about that tomorrow online. The, the Cleveland game uh, in particular is a critical one. They, they need it for a couple reasons, but... Uh, but they need it because it's one of the three. And you know that Cleveland would love nothing better than to beat the Ravens. Their, their fans right. hate us. Their, their team probably doesn't care nearly as much, or, their, or their, even their management, but their fans certainly hate us. And you've got to get up. And, and if you can get up and get excited for that game by a chance to keep a division rival out of the playoffs, that's something to get excited for. There you go. There you go. But they do they do win any two-way tiebreaker with Buffalo. They win any two-way tiebreaker with the Chargers now. Those are now locked in. Uh, the Buffalo based on common opponents. The Chargers based on conference record. Uh, the Jets are out of the playoff pictures at this point, which is kind of nice. The Bengals were out last week, so that's kind of nice. So a, a few things fell into place that, that make it uh, at least not as many competitors in the field. And the, the main issue the Ravens have is the multi, multi-way tiebreakers. And there is another big one they can lose. They can lose a tiebreaker to the Chiefs. 
which is the probably the biggest single fear is that them and the Chiefs both finish nine and seven, and that's the only head-to-head tiebreaker that the Ravens can lose. Right now, now this was a big loss because the Steelers beat us twice uh, this year, both games. Now, now we find ourselves fighting for this playoff spot to try to basically try to get a third attempt against the Steelers this year. Yeah, um, that's right. So, what what is what was walking away from that? What's the worst part of that? Is it because we're losing to the Steelers? Is it how it affects the playoffs? Uh, or is it just the fact that our offense jumped up to a big lead and couldn't hold it? Yeah, it's disappointing to see the, the defense lose a lead. Now, the defense, it, it's unfair to say the defense loses a lead every time. Of course, as we've talked about on this show, the Ravens have only blown one lead at any point during a game of three points or more. It's a three-point lead at Minnesota. They Otherwise, they have not had a single lead the entire season that they've blown until this game. And then, of course, this game, they led by 11. They led by 11 fairly late and still found a way to lose it. And and it's not the game you want to lose in that way, obviously. Sure. Um, Let's get into the pass rush because uh, Rosselberger had 500 passing yards, right, yesterday? Yeah, so he had 506 and net of 486. Take out the 20 yards of sacks. And then all the time in the world in the pocket, it it appeared. It certainly seemed that way. So he had, in actuality, he had 34 out of 67 ATS attempts. First of all, is anybody upset that Roethlisberger is allowed to throw the ball 67 times in one game, 67 dropbacks? 66 passes, you take out two spikes, you're at 64. You add back in three sacks, you're at 67. That's how we're there. 34 of those were ATS. Now, that's not really an unusual number. That's right around the 50% number we might expect. But then you, when you add to that the fact that he had the ball out quickly another 17 times, it really was only 16 times the Ravens generated a pressure against him, and that's quite bad. Uh, if you look at the other things that are really bad about this, it's really bad to not have any turnovers. Now, the trailing team throws a lot, and they usually are trading you know, additional turnovers right. to for, for yards. And so, you know, you, you really hope that a team is not able to just drop back in the pocket at will, eat a sandwich basically on every down, and throw for uh, throw for 500 yards in a game. But that's what the Steelers basically were able to do against the Ravens. Right, and the Steelers came into the game clearly with the game plan of throwing the ball and, and taking advantage of us not having Jimmy Smith. That's right. I mean, they, we had Brandon Carr on the field before last time, but, but they... They did throw 12 times at Humphrey, and I guess when you throw 67 times, you're going to throw a few times at every cornerback. Right. But they threw 12 times at Humphrey and had absolutely no success. He was 6 of 12 for 37 yards, I believe, on that side. Might have been 57, but anyway, a very low total. Um, and he he did his job and shut down the opponent. Uh, unfortunately, it was all Brandon Carr on the other side who had a lot of difficulty. They had a lot of difficulty over the middle of the field, in particular the inside linebackers covering people. Mosley was targeted 14 or 15 times with 11 receptions. So, uh, you know, a combination of bad things happening in the middle of the field and on the right sideline with Antonio Brown was really the uh, the problem. Right. How much did not having Zedaria Smith hurt this pass rush? Oh, it's huge. It's, I'm glad you brought that up, Josh, because Zedaria Smith had had nine quarterback hits in the previous four games, I believe it was, and only one of those was a sack, but... Uh, he, had, he had been part of turnovers by getting quarterback hits, uh, and that, that, was, that was very big. It was a big part of the Ravens' pass rush. And it hurt them more in this game because 
he he wasn't able to play those inside pass rush snaps, and they had to have sometimes extra defensive alignment on the field, which just isn't as good. So they had Brandon Williams a lot out there trying to generate pressure on passing downs. And then at the very end, they decided, okay, we can't do that anymore, and they put uh, Matthew Judon on the inside, and he didn't really play that well either uh, in this game. So he only had one pressure event the whole game that I could see as a quarterback hit, and it came kind of late. So, uh, you know, it's one of these things where they could not find the right formula without a very key member of their pass rushing core, and I think it kind of underscores his value going forward that uh, Zedaria Smith will be a fourth-year player next year, and they're going to have to kind of decide what they want to do with him. And and what is Zedaria Smith's status right now? Well, he's he'll be a tendered free uh, RFA. I'm sorry, he's a drafted player, so he's already signed for for next year. All right. Uh, no, but I mean, he's is he done for the year? Uh, no, he okay. had a shoulder. Not that I'm aware of. Anyway, right. he had a shoulder injury, and and if something came out today, I missed it. But uh, I, I he, he was that. a scratch for this game. Okay. All right. So hopefully we'll have him back for these final three, and then hopefully the playoff push. Yep. Um. How about halftime? The first half, the defense was just getting ran over and could not force a, a uh, chain of possession. That's Immediately right. to start the, the second half, we all know it's a big drive to try to keep it as a three-point game, and they get a three and out uh, right. with the Steelers. Did they change something with the way they attacked? Yeah, very different pressure scheme in the second half. So they, they, You mentioned it exactly. They had four drives weren't stopped. They were only stopped by the half ending, really, on the fourth drive, and they kicked that field goal. But they, they only had one time where they were stopped on downs, and they kicked a field goal in the in the first half. And then they, had, of course, had the two touchdowns as well, and rolling up 20 points in four possessions. They, they, the first three stops of that second half, first three drives, they were stopped in five plays or less, five, three, and three, in terms of, uh, of stopping them on downs, uh, on plays, I should say. And so that was great. It was a great turnaround. It was largely driven by increased pressure. So Pease didn't do a whole lot of scheming for pressure in the first half. I remember the sideline reporter, I think, said John Harbaugh said, we have a lot of blitzes coming in the second half. And that sounded to me like garbagey coach speak. But they, they really opened up the, the blitz playbook in the second half with all kinds of uh, different pressures. They had for, it, for the game, they had 14 deceptive pressures in this game. And it was a lot of passes. So 67 dropbacks. Right. But, you know, you've heard these numbers week to week. We're, we're having two or we're having four, but 14 is a lot. They had 18 individual blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. So that's also, also a, a very high number for Pease. And they had eight stunts, and we haven't seen much stunting from this team at all. So a, a very deceptive array of, uh, of pass rushes, most, most in the second half, and um, they were more effective rushing the passer in the second half. Clearly, they they, uh, they got it down to 50%, and even yeah. got some pressure on that final drive, but they just were not... The defense was so gassed in the secondary and uh, and unable to, to keep it covered that the ball was out quickly a lot, and they weren't able to do much uh, uh, in terms of stopping them anyway. So, uh, difficult game. You know, you... you, you once a game starts to get away from you in terms of the number of plays, which has often been a problem for the Ravens against the Steelers, is the Steelers seem to have many more plays from scrimmage and are able to, to stay on the field more. In this game, the Steelers went 12 for 18 on third down. So right there, that should tell you they were on the field an awful lot right. more than we would have liked. Sure. Um, 67 pass uh, attempts, 500 yards. How how do we look at this game as a, a Ravens organization? How does this game, is this the worst uh, passing we've given up as an organization? 
Well, it, it, it's actually very close to another game in Ravens history. So maybe we take a little sidebar and talk about that for a second, because I brought it up in the article. All right. So on, on Christmas Eve 2000, the Ravens played a game against the Jets, and it was a game that really was a reversal of a lot of things that happened in that season, because they were so successful, of course. But Vinny Testaverde dropped back 69 times, threw for 481 net yards, which seems an awful lot like 67 for 486. There was just one little difference, is the Ravens really punished the Jets that day by forcing six turnovers. Three interceptions that were returned for 183 yards, and another three fumbles. So they didn't get away with the loosey-goosey ball strategy. They were punished for it, and that's what they ought to. Uh, the Ravens also had two punt returns from Jermaine Lewis in that game for, uh, for touchdowns, and they won 34-20 to despite having only five first downs. So it's still... It's very vivid in my memory. I've watched this game a number of times over the years, but I did also put it in my article and have a uh, a link to it in the um, uh, from there that you can go take a look at that if you're maybe too young to remember the game or maybe you just don't remember it all. It's been a long time, but the but the thing that comes to mind about it is that the teams that the Ravens faced in the playoffs really thought. That game against the Jets is the Achilles heel for this Ravens defense. We finally found it. All you have to do is play the spread offense, and they can't stop us. Well, three teams tried to do that in the playoffs, and they scored a total of six offensive points against the Ravens. It was Denver, Oakland, and, and the New York Giants. And in, in so doing, they just all failed miserably at it, and the Ravens shut them down in the playoffs. So what I'm saying is I don't think this game has to define the 2017 Ravens either in terms of whether or not they're a good playoff team. I, I, I hear that. I, I, the differences would be in 2000, that was Vinny Testaverde throwing the ball. So you got those six turnovers. Here you're going against Ben Roethlisberger, who's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, I, my hesitation keeps being that this team, the whole reason we draft on defense, 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 is to beat the Steelers. Mm-hmm. And it's, it has not worked this year. Is that a concern, or is it that the Steelers have uh, Ben... Bell and Brown, they've got they're the three Bs as they kept pushing on, on uh, primetime football. Is it just that they've got the best current uh, squad playing football today? They, they have certainly a very impressive set of offensive weapons, and Juju was not active for this game, so he'll be back and, and you know is a, is a very fine receiver also. So I think you've got to look at it by component. And the Ravens, what they did do very well in this game that they didn't do well in the first game was shut down Bell. So you can start with that in terms of how they did it on the ground because the, the, having Brandon Williams back really did lead to a shutdown of Bell. How, how The other way they needed to shut down Bell was in the air. And the, the strategy of putting Jefferson on him, I really like. I think it was the right strategy to try. I think other players would have had a harder time covering him. Jefferson did get one great hit on him on the on the right sideline, so that was a nice uh, a nice put him out of the game for a few plays move. But he also had some trouble covering and seemed to be a little bit tentative, honestly, covering Bell. Where I think you need to you need to get right up on top of him and see what you can do in terms of of uh, trying to deny him the football. Mosley did do a good job in the end zone covering Bell on one play. That was one that I that I you know I looked at and I said, okay, this is this is one good play from C.J. Mosley because. Very difficult game for him otherwise. He he had a lot of trouble covering, uh, did not really have a bunch of impact plays in the run game. He hasn't, I, I have not seen him make an impact play in the passing game as a rusher in some time either. So, uh, you know, 
CJ is, is looks like he's playing hurt, and he looks like he's slower than he has been at other times. And that's that's struggle, and that's that's uh, that's tough to see. Was this the this was the third loss in a row to the Steelers? Is that correct? Yeah, so we, lost last, we lost last December. Mm-hmm. Right? That was, was that a Christmas? Christmas we yeah, lost. Was, so that was the Christmas game. But that has some similarities to this game as well. So maybe we could, should talk about that. You know, at this yeah. point, is the is the there's the Ravens last year. That was the game where Kyle Juszczyk broke through with a minute and 18 left and scored a touchdown. So it was third and one from the 10 yard line. He got through the line of scrimmage, and all of a sudden, the Steelers lost interest in trying to stop him, including. Bud Dupree, who kind of just like almost stood up on the play, and Yuschek then you know, had had burst through already, and then and then was able to regain his footing and and get to the goal line and dive in. Well, the fact of the matter was the the, the Steelers wanted the football back at that point, and they would have the Ravens right. would have done well had they been prepared in the huddle to know that nobody should score. If you break through, you go to the one yard line, and we'll take it from there, kind of thing. Well, the Ravens had a similar point in this game, and it was at third and three, and maybe it was even at fourth and three, but I'm going to start at third and three um, on, their, on their last drive before the Steelers scored the field goal to go ahead. So they led 38 to 36 at that point, I guess it was. Yeah, that sounds right, 38 to 36. Yeah. And they uh, uh, had the ball third and three, and uh, I, I don't have the exact line yard, yard line, but in the twenties or in the in the in the low thirties, maybe in the thirty-two. And instead of running, consuming a little more clock, and and giving themselves a reasonable chance to get the first down there, but more importantly, giving themselves a good chance to get it in two tries, they went ahead and they threw the football, were incomplete, and they were left with fourth and three. Now, even right. in that situation, I think that was one where. I was already at the point going into the drive that the Ravens' offense needed to control the ball somehow for about eight plays. Get two first downs, have eight plays, and they would probably have been able to run out the clock or run it far enough down that the Steelers wouldn't have had any chance to do anything. Right, because like there, there was something. still three and a half minutes or something at that point. Uh, right. I'll take your word for it. I will look really I, I think that's about what, we, what it was when we gave the ball back to the Steelers, a little more than three minutes. Okay, I'm going to uh, look. Because I my memory would change. I, I don't know because my memory was that it was two twenty five. Two twenty five. All right, so yeah. it was closer to forcing them to use some timeouts. Right. So it's, it's fourth and three at two thirty at two thirty four left. That was the, that would have been the fourth play of the drive. Okay. They had three timeouts left, so they, they really needed to probably control it for another at least another five plays to run all the Steelers' times out timeouts off, and then run it far enough down with a punt that they wouldn't have had a chance to do anything more with it. Um, but but anyway, they they uh, had passed already once. That might have extended the number of plays by once. But on fourth and three, they were faced with a very similar situation to Belichick a few years ago against the Colts, and he didn't have any fear and went ahead and, and went for it on fourth and three. And you could say, oh, I had to, he had Tom Brady and this right. and that. But but the fact of the matter is, he went for it on fourth and three because because it was the right decision mathematically to make. This would have been a very close one in terms of what's the correct decision mathematically to go for it on fourth and three or to not. But I think the, the circumstances being what they were in terms of the Ravens' inability to stop them at all just looked too similar to last Christmas to me after they'd had a, let's see, eight-play, 68-yard drive for a touchdown. In the previous drive, they'd had a five-play, 67-yard drive for a touchdown. The, the, the Christmas of last year had been two straight drives, I think it's 75 and 5 and 60 
90 and 6. So they were both 15-yard per play drives, I recall. And it, it, it just looked too similar in terms of the Ravens' inability to stop them. And it's very hard to stop four-down football, period. It's in- incredibly hard to do it if you can't get turnovers or generate a ton of pressure. And the Ravens just were not doing either of those things in this game. And, and it was a not a good situation for them to really put the football back in Ben's hands. It would have been a better chance to take to go for the first down there. Yeah, I, I, I can see that looking back. It's, uh, it makes a lot of sense when you think about how winded that defense was at the end. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the fact of knowing that our offense is going to need to score more points, so <laughs> let the Steelers get their points right away to give us some more time on the clock because we're going to have to do something. You know, that, that was the other if thing. It, if it fails. You're speaking about the redraw value. So they, they fail on fourth and three. You're actually not playing four-down football anymore. You're only playing three-down football, which is an enormous difference. Right. Then you have to get them off the field in three plays. Maybe you can give up one first down on the first play, but you have to get them off the field and have a stop almost immediately. But you're, you only have to stop them on three plays, as they were able to do when they got the Steelers into position. But that defense was just not ready for an extended drive. They weren't ready to do it. And, uh, you know, they, they ended up on the field for 83 snaps for the game, 83 that counted, two, two spikes uh, were in there. And I'm taking out the penalties, which right. you could add, add more for. But anyway, 83 snaps in the game is a lot. And, uh, and it's more than this defense was really ready to do. Brandon Williams on the field for 59 snaps. Willie Henry on the field for 57 snaps. They were requiring these guys who were completely gassed to try and get in there and get some pass rush ability. And, uh, and it, it just wasn't happening. Suggs was winded as anything. He had 63 snaps on the game. So, uh, boy, just a tough game for these guys to, to, to have to stay on the field. Yeah, and I, I hate to look back at games like that, but it does make you wonder what if they trusted the offense a little more and admitted that the offense was going to need to win this game, not the defense. Right. I mean, I, I just... I think sometimes you got to come to that realization on a game-by-game basis, even if that's not your normal opinion of it. Right. Even if you say, well, this is the 2017 Ravens defense. They, they pitched three shutouts this year. They're good. Well, okay, they are good under normal circumstances, but they've given up two touchdown drives in a row, and they've been on the field forever. The fourth quarter, they had an unbelievable number of plays. Uh, you know, It's time to just let the offense right. try and win the game here. Right. It's Joe. We paid Joe all this money. Let's let him try to do it. And that would be my he, reason, but right. that would be that would be a reason that would be something you could say. It's way well, and it's way easier to say this today than than in the moment. Actually, if you go out and look on my Twitter, it's there. Okay, <laughs> in the moment. All right. Well, you had you had it there in the moment. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a few of these players, and I want to start with Marlon Humphrey because there was a lot of talk going into this game of we're in a huge problem because Marlon Humphrey is not Jimmy Smith. He's struggled. He's a rookie. We're putting a rookie up against the Browns. But he seemed to have a great game. He did, and he was definitely one of the Ravens' stars defensively, probably their biggest star defensively. I think of one other. But uh, first start, they threw at him 12 times, completed half of those. I forget it was 37 or 57 yards, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's, a, it's a low total. Uh, he really, the big opportunity they had, and the Ravens had three good opportunities to get an interception yesterday. So one of them was on a ball that went off Humphrey's hands and then helmet while he was guarding on the left sideline. Right. So that would have been one of the plays. Any one of those, the Ravens get them. They don't lose this game in all likelihood. But that's the, off of the case well, he, in one-point yeah. games. So yeah, it's, it's that. It's the Suggs interception attempt, the Suggs attempt. And, yeah. and, and Flacco throwing the interception. You take any of those away, and they won. That's certainly true, and Levine's 
pass defense, I thought, you know, was a play True. that you, you, you could get an yeah, interception on. Yeah, when that's knocked in the air. Yep. Yeah. All right, now let's go to the other side of the field with Brandon Carr. Now, was he having a really bad game, or is Antonio Brown just the best wide receiver in uh, football? So, you know, I think I actually do probably blame most of it on Brown and not on Carr. Carr got pushed off twice for OPIs that didn't get called. And if they're going to call the game no. that way, it just tremendously benefits the Steelers receivers. Right. I mean, they're, they're able to do that, and, and Brown in particular separates with his hands, and uh, it's just not, not anything you do at it. I almost think it would have been better on some of those plays if Carr had just fallen down when he was pushed. It's just like, go right. take a dive. You can't cover this guy. <laughs> right, but, sure. But, you know, go take a dive. But anyway... Well, it has been at, go ahead i'm sorry no i was just going to say if you're bringing up as you're bringing up uh, offensive pass interference another one of those plays that really affected the game would be that defensive pass interference call on humphrey when he was going for the ball in the end zone that yeah that was on kennedy but yeah that oh, was yeah, another was one kennedy, that was, yeah, that, was that was a bad one the one on Carr, which is at the 6 yard line i think was a pretty legitimate call yeah but, yeah but that one's true the one diving over the top on kennedy just a any, horrible call any defensive pass interference when you're covering antonio brown i do not mind because it's probably the smart move at that time. Uh huh. Okay, I can I can buy that, but but uh, but Kennedy shouldn't have been called. It's just one of those plays. That, right, and uh, that that would have made that they would have then gone for the field goal and gotten three points instead of the touchdown. Yeah, and would have made all the difference. Yeah, it's tough. Um, Tony Jefferson, how how did he do? He he was definitely uh, I saw him a few times on the TV. He was making plays with Bell. Yeah, it's we talked about that a little bit earlier with Bell, so we, we can talk about it. The, what he didn't really do well in this game is Tony didn't play well on the back end. So the, the Ravens really exposed themselves when they wanted to play cover two for two reasons. One, you, you play cover two because you want to defend sideline to sideline with two levels of coverage. Okay, Sometimes you even play cover three because you want to do that even more. But you play cover two because you want a man element and then also from sideline to sideline on the back end. And, and Jefferson just is not up for that. He doesn't recognize or read the quarterback well enough to move to the receiver that he should. And so he needs to play closer to the line of scrimmage. And he had that kind of role in Arizona last year, did not play as much on the back end, and he was a much more effective player. And, and I think that they're going to really have to figure out how to how to use him at what he's more effective at for the rest of this year and going into the playoffs to get the most out of him. All right. Um uh, let's see. We haven't gotten to Levine. He he had the pass defense you mentioned. Yeah, so it, that was nice so to get the, that on a on a pass rush. He had a pressure. He had a sack. Otherwise, so very effective day for him in terms of uh, of uh, being in the right place at the right time. He played a lot more snaps than he usually had because the Ravens played a ton of dime in this game. And not that it worked out all that well. They gave up seven point four yards in in the dime. But Levine played. Let's give this a quick look here. 32 snaps, which is by far the most he's played this year. So uh, uh, he was very effective personally. The dime was not all that effective uh, in in whole because that's the defense they were in for those last three drives of the game when they gave up a touchdown each time, or a touchdown, touchdown, field goal, I should say. Right. Um, Bowser got a lot of playing time, too, this week. How exciting was that to see your, your guy nice Bowser? It was nice to see him get a sack. I know that. Yeah, at a sack, he had a quarterback hit, and 
He had 22 snaps in this game. I think he's he's earned more playing time. He he looked good in in what he did. They didn't have any runs that that they ran over him with, so that was good as well. But uh, but he looked very good in his role, and, and he could cover as a linebacker. So it's nice to be able to drop him from the line of scrimmage and and do some things with him that you can't do with just anybody. Like Zedarius Smith, I I don't really trust in coverage the same way I trust a Bowser. Okay, so maybe in the C.J. Mosley type. Uh... Landscape, well, it, you think? Because they've put Mosley in a bunch of coverage as well, it seems. Yeah, but, I mean, Mosley's an inside linebacker, so he has to cover. But, okay. but uh, with Bowser, if he's lined up opposite the tight end, which he normally would be as the Sam linebacker, then he'll have to cover a fair amount. He'll drop right. to cover a fair amount. And sometimes he'll rush the quarterback, and then he can be effective at that. But he has to have that combination of skills. And that's that's what you get from Judon, and he's played quite well this year. But uh, but Bowser I like as well, and I, I hope they can find a bigger role for him the rest of the way. All right. Uh, rushing the quarterback means we got to talk about Terrell Suggs because he lives to rush on Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, and he didn't have a bad game. He was the Ravens' most productive pass rusher, so he had a handful of pressures. I, I scored him, I think, for six pressures in this game. That included the half sack and... I do not have my sheet right in front of me. I can't speak to it more than that. So that that was that was fine. Suggs had a decent game uh, here, but uh, they needed somebody else to compliment him in order to get a better uh, rush going in this game. And that, Zadarius Smith was the guy they really missed. But they, to have the Steelers go through this game and not have a holding penalty and not have a freaking turnover and not have a pass, well, they did have one, batted down at the line of scrimmage, you know, other than the Levine throw, that's just that's not Ravens football. Right. Got, got to generate something. Right. Now, Bell was pretty much shut down for the game. And can we single-handedly give that to Brandon Williams? Well, Brandon Williams would made a big difference in the run game coming back. And, and you really notice that, that it, you know, that man latching on to a running back is just, it, it's, it's defeat at that point for the running back. They give up. and they, they're, they're worrying about not being crushed probably a lot. But, but he latches on very effectively. And, and uh, he looked good taking up space in this game. And the Ravens swarmed to the ball very effectively, and that included eight men, really, including Jefferson in this game. Uh, so, so they did a very effective job against the run. And come the second half, the Steelers really gave up on it. Even though they'd scored and moved the ball effectively in the first half, it was pretty much all through the air, and they gave up on the run more or less in the second half. So that was good to see, having them be able to do that, stop the Steelers' power running game, which they didn't really do too much of in this game. Uh, was uh, one effective thing to look at for this team. The, the run defense is having still a fantastic run now over now what is now six weeks. I see. All right, uh, let's get to the mailbag. Okay. And uh, we're going to start with one that came in a few days ago, so before the uh, frustrating loss yesterday, which is the question from Dan Boss, who says, which is most likely that, A, the Ravens keep both Jimmy Smith and Brandon Carr next year, Uh B, they keep Carr and they try to trade Smith, or C, they keep Smith and cut Carr, or D, they go with the young guns of Humphrey, Young, Kennedy, Hill, and spend the cat room every, so, otherwhere. Okay, so so the question is, can they really get rid of Jimmy and Carr together? They can get rid of Carr if they want to. He's a $4 million cap savings if they do it. So from, from a cap perspective, it's not, it's not hard to get rid of Carr if they have the bodies otherwise. He is not terribly expensive for a starting quarterback in the NFL though so he's he's a reasonable value and if he left here he would have other suitors he would be somebody else would uh, would want his contract even at this level maybe so he might have a little trade value 
if you if you go with the uh, with Jimmy Smith and you ask you know can the Ravens get rid of him, they really can't. It would be a thirteen and a half million dollar cut uh, uh, cap hit next year in terms of dead money if he goes. And I just don't see any world in which the Ravens are willing to do that. So Jimmy Smith will be a Raven next year. Carr we don't know about. Uh, you know whether or not Jimmy's able to finish the season is another question. But he's, he's certainly going to play this next season with the Ravens. All right. Uh, Minion Hunter asks a couple questions, all getting to the point of Humphrey looking good yesterday, and why would they not put him more on uh, Brown, even if it's just like a shadow and and some uh, deeper help, something to to put more pressure on Antonio Brown. Okay, well that, that's interesting. The, the Ravens play corners on each side, and Dev and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he was on the show, but effectively. You're better off if you can stay with your own side. And people get individual cornerbacks get better at playing one side. They get more spatially acclimated to the to the boundary being relative to one of their shoulders. Okay, so you got you got corners who prefer to protect the left sideline and corners who prefer to protect the right sideline, or at least they get used to it. Now Humphrey has actually played on both sides this year, so I don't think it would have been all that difficult to move him around and follow Brown. It just would have been a commitment there. Another possibility is you let Humphrey play on an island against the receiver on the other side, and you play just single high and get Weddle shaded to whatever side Brown is on. So that would have also been an alternative. In terms of actually shadowing one for one, very rarely have the Ravens ever done that. The Ravens have basically been a you're on this side, you're on this side team for almost all their existence. They moved McAllister around handful of games. I want to say maybe three, five games in, in their in their history where they've actually had McAllister shadowing somebody. Or, um, I can't recall it happening with Jimmy Smith, but they might have done it with Jimmy Smith on Megatron a few years ago in Detroit in 2013 is my, is my recollection. So otherwise it happens very infrequently, and I would not have expected it necessarily to happen in this game. I would have expected the Ravens to make other defensive adjustments to not continually let Brown burn car down the right sideline. All right. Well, see, there you're jumping ahead from Mr. Ed, who asks if the Ravens have ever shadowed Antonio Brown before. Sorry, Mr. Ed. I think we got your question yeah. then, too. Yeah. Uh, Hickey, Hickey M6 asks, what happened to the pass rush? Because last night, of course, that was the issue. Uh, when Ben had less time to throw, it led to three and outs. Was it the losses of Zedaria Smith? Yeah. Zedaria Smith was a huge loss, as we said. You know, the, the, the quarterback hits he's had in recent games have led to turnovers. So it's been a big deal for that, uh, and I can't say much else than that. I mean, they had other guys in unfamiliar roles like Judon trying to rush from the inside, which didn't work in this game. Uh, they didn't get good inside pass rush from their, their second defensive lineman on the field because they're used to playing that one-down lineman set in the dime where their only lineman is Henry. So... Yes, uh, the pass rush let him down in several ways. There's a lot of reasons why. And sometimes you've got to give some of the credit to the Steelers, too. Roethlisberger was very careful with the football. He made good use of his ample time and space and very, being very patient on routes, as he usually is. Uh, his receivers finished their routes, whereas oftentimes you get some apathetic receivers. I've seen this certainly in the Ravens receivers of this year and past, where they don't, they don't finish routes. They're not looking to run a route past three seconds to figure out how, they, how can they get open. So, uh, again, just something the Steelers do very well is the extended play. It's funny. As I'm scrolling through these uh, film study mailbag questions, it's a lot of why not help Carr. Yeah. Uh, so everyone was kind of wondering about that and, and Carr's struggles. Um, 
How do you evaluate now, after a few games, Humphrey and his growth? Is he someone who you think can, can live up to this? Uh, J.C. Ball asks, do you think Humphrey's up to the task, I guess, for the, speaking of the rest of the year? I, I, I'm going to say without question, Humphrey's our number one quarterback, and, and he is one of the better number one cornerbacks in the entire league. How about that? All right. That, that's, that's exciting if, to have a rookie who's one of the, the, the mm-hmm. best. Uh, let's see. Shane Aran asked, the Steelers just ran 59 yards. Is it because of the run defense? Is this good? And how can, uh, how can they stop a meltdown like they did on the last drive? Okay, so that's, two, that's kind of two separate two questions. Separate they, were questions very, yes. they were very effective versus the run, and I think we talked a little bit about that. Brandon Williams came back, and if he did not always penetrate, he brought the threat of penetration with his presence that told the Steelers, we can't play this power run game moving from right to left, generally speaking, with DeCastro and oftentimes a, a tight end pulling from right to left. That just was ridiculously effective the first game, and it was largely due to a failure of inside penetration. It, we talked about it last year with Jeremy Zuda as the one player I want to get back to, is when he gave up penetration, he precluded a lot of the pulling that the Ravens could have done because he would give up he would give up ground. And that happens at guard as well. And Williams, being a three-tech, is typically over a guard and has a chance to push the guard back on that side. And that the threat of that, if not the actuality of that, is something that made, made it uh, very uncomfortable for the Steelers to do that. Plus... They were having a lot of success throwing the ball, so they said, why stop doing that? All right. I'm sorry, there was another question in there, and I've, I've missed it. Uh, the other question was... Um, uh, meltdown, fourth the quarter. Meltdown. How do you, How avoid, do you avoid that meltdown? Okay. So I, I think one of the ways you can do it is not give them the ball back. But once you're in that situation, I think the most important thing from a game management perspective, from Harbaugh's perspective, frankly, is to realize you're not in Kansas anymore. You're in a different place where you can't rely on your defense because they're not they're not up to it. You look all you gotta do is look at the sideline over your shoulder and see that there's all these guys breathing very heavily, having difficulty catching their breath, and you ought to realize I can't put these guys back on the field. I gotta try and take a shot on fourth and three here. Or I gotta try and run the ball twice when it's third and three. Uh, so anyway, I, I I think that the realization of that and the, and the, and the changes are, are difficult for a lot of coaches to make. They don't want to take heat clearly like Belichick did a few years ago for going for it on fourth and two and failing. So they don't want to you know, entertain the notion that that might be the right idea. But in, in point of fact, that was that drive on offense was the Ravens' big chance to win this game. They really were not ahead in the game being two points up if they were going to give the ball back to the Steelers. They were trailing. That's the way they have to look at it. So they had to make a first down. In fact, they probably had to make a couple of first downs to keep their defense off the field and uh, and have a real reasonable chance to win that game. Okay. Uh, I'm going to combine a couple uh, Twitter comments because they're all the uh, same. Uh, speaking of C.J. Mosley, so, uh, I'm going to cover Milan and, and Ola with giving you a chance to talk about C.J. Mosley. And we, we referenced that he's slow and uh, he, he seems to have been struggling this year. Meanwhile, he seems to be the only guy we have for an inside linebacker uh, for the future. Is this a guy that we're going to have to extend his contract? Is it, should we be concerned about this guy? Okay, I, I am concerned about C.J. Mosley um, in, in the sense that he's hurt now and he might not be 100% to go the rest of the year, including the playoffs. That's a major concern. 
I'm not as concerned about Mosley next year. I think he'll be back. He'll be a linebacker. Will be the defensive signal caller for sure. Um, whether the Ravens tie him up long term now or they have him play just under the fifth year option, they see where this goes. They've got a couple of different ways they can look at it for 2018. Um, but one thing they're going to have to do is draft another inside linebacker. And that would be true no matter what, because they have no depth at inside linebacker. In fact, their second inside linebacker is really the weakness of the team. So they've got to they've got to find a way to strengthen that position if for no other reason, even if they're convinced Peanut can continue to play okay. And he's not been playing bad, but it's just he's not up to the standard of the rest of this defense. If, if they got a second inside linebacker who could really play, it would actually provide them depth so that every time C.J. Mosley is on the ground, we're not holding our breath waiting for him to get up. All right. Um, I'm going to again combine some comments that came in about kidnapping Dean Pease and everything, and instead <laughs> I'm going to form it as a question of what do we take of Dean Pease this year? Do we like how he's been calling the games? Is there a problem with Dean Pease? We, we all agree that there's probably a problem with Marty Morningweg, um, even though the offense is starting to get some steam. Now that the defense is falling apart in some big opportunities, what do we take of Dean Pease? Well, this is, really, this is really the first time the defense has fallen apart and cost them a game, as the way I look at it. I mean, they had Brandon Williams out for a while, and they lost a couple games when, when he wasn't there providing that enormous presence in the middle. And and they lost some games to some teams that are pretty good. They lost to the Jacksonville in London without Williams, and then Jacksonville ended up being Jacksonville, who's a good team. So, you know, it's, that's not that terrible. Generally speaking, I am positive on Dean Pease. He discovered the dime this year after five years of ignoring it when it was it was the best option. I One thing a friend and I often say is, I hate having to wait for circumstances to conspire for a coach to do the right thing. And this was one of these cases with the dime defense that it was the right answer all along. And and it's only because you've got Patrick Owasso and you've got uh, Kamalak Correa as your options in inside linebacker that you're finally putting on the field on third down. And then, you know, Levine is not only, you know, one of your best (laughs) defensive specialists, uh, you know, he's a, he's a playmaker, too. I mean, he's, he's done all kinds of positive things for the Ravens this year. And, and they've got a second guy, Chuck Clark, who's getting snaps there as well. So anyway, my point is that I think he should probably have recognized that the dime was a better option sooner. But he's there now. He's called a good defensive game plan, I think, for the year. He's shown just enough out of the playbook uh, to get by week after week and to do the right things. I think he's blitzed quarterbacks who were inexperienced, who would have give trouble. And he's blitzed when he's had to in games like this, even where there was a lot of risk involved because he had no other way to get pressure on the quarterback. So I think from that standpoint, I like the way he's, he's, he's run the game. I just, my, in general, that's, that's my feeling about Dean. It's not going to upset me tremendously if he retires, but I hope the Ravens will lose the opportunity, use the opportunity, I say, to hire a revolutionary defensive coordinator and not an old school defensive coordinator. And, and it will also not upset me if Dean is back next year. He's done a, a creditable job. You know, he's getting older. He'll be, I guess, 69 years old next year. So there is a question as to whether he'll continue anyway. But, uh, but it, you know, it, Dean Pease is not the problem this year with the defense. Right. And the, the, the exciting thing is that the Ravens do have a history of, of bringing in those revolutionary defensive coordinators like a Marvin Lewis and Rex Ryan. 
That's that's right. Lewis Ryan and even Nolan. You know, right. Nolan was was the most old school of the three, but all of them were aggressive dime defense players who love to blitz with their dime and love to do things with extra defensive backs on the field. That's the Ravens tradition, and and I would love for that to be maintained, but uh, extended in some different way with a new coordinator. All right. Uh, Jacob Rock asks a good question for us to uh, finish this mailbag segment with, and it's a two-parter. The first one part we'll get to in a second, but the second part of this question was asking about the ball fumbling out of bounds, which we will get to at the in the offensive episode in a couple of days. But his question was more of like, did you, did you know about that rule? Cause the Ravens sure looked confused about that rule. Right. They, they look confused about the rule. Um, it did not come to my mind as it was happening. So it's hardly something I can blame the Ravens for, for not realizing had they known it would have been difficult for them to get over center right. and have a play called and get the ball to the sideline and, you know, get somebody out of bounds or even to spike it, which would have just given them then probably a hail Mary opportunity. Right as their only option their their big chance they had to they had to get it within the previous two plays right and throw the, down yeah the macklin injury timeout is what really hurt that final drive yeah. you know not, that's not you're right fumble. on the money uh but tough then, game for macklin yeah uh but then jacob rock asks should how do the ravens walk away from this game should they be discouraged or encouraged with the good offense uh and for keeping the game close to a good game a team like the steelers and what what should the Ravens take away from this be? Well, it's a good question, Jacob, and I think you know it's good that you're able to see the glasses half full or it's half empty. I look at it and I see plenty of positive. I do see negative in this. I think you know they got they got their pants pulled down in terms of what their secondary can do in this game a little bit. But on the other side, they really did uh, have a very good offensive showing. And if if I'm looking at this team and I'm saying how can they improve most, it's not by marginal arithmetic increases on defense. Those are going to be small. If they can, if if Flacco is all of a sudden healthy, that's that has a geometric impact on the on the rest of the offense. All 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 things are easier if Joe is healthy. All things are easier if Alex Collins is breaking tackles the way he did in this game. Uh, yeah, it's just there was a lot to be excited about offensively about what they did in this game. And sure, they've got weaknesses, and they, it, it's Joe Flacco was able to hit some receivers that that hadn't been part of the offense before. Moore had not done too much. For this team, I saw in this game Joe Flacco going outside the numbers with the fastball the way he used to as a rookie, and the way that used to be a good a good part of the uh, of the offensive game plan. These eight and ten yard outs, I would love for that to be back. It's just it's a it's a great play. I would love to see the <laughs> offensive line continue to be able to some, get some decent level two opportunities for Alex Collins. He's broken tackles like crazy. Ten missed tackles according to PFF by Collins in this game, and he had an average length after contact, average distance traveled after contact of 5.28 yards per this game, according to PFF. That's, think about just how ridiculously high that is. More than five yards after contact per touch. So, anyway. Yeah, I saw, I saw today. For one, I think it's funny if you asked anyone, there's no one in the world who would have picked in July that Alex Collins and Chris Moore would be stars for the Ravens this year. No, it's true. Um, especially Alex Collins wasn't even with the organization at the time. But th- but Chris Moore's total yardage for this year is what Antonio Brown had last night. <laughs> so that sounds uh, about right. Right. So my my question for you to close out the mailbag with a question for me is: Do we get a third Raven Steelers game this year? I think the chance is reasonably high and the best chance for it is if the Steelers take care of New England in Pittsburgh which I think is a reasonable possibility 
So if that happens, then the then the, the Ravens are in as the six. Then yeah, there's a good chance it's the Ravens and Steelers after the Ravens right the second uh, go week on the playoffs. road. Yeah, it'll yeah. be the divisional round. So it would, it would depend on the Ravens obviously winning a game. Right, they'd probably have a thirty percent chance to do so, or perhaps a little bit more on the road against uh, against the Chiefs or against. Uh, uh, probably actually be in Tennessee or in in Jacksonville. I still think they're a thirty percent chance to win even a game like that. So, uh, you know, you're gonna have to face somebody good when you're in the playoffs. Sure. But, uh, but honestly, I think that they they are they are much better suited to beat Jacksonville now than they were in uh, week four when they went there. Well, no, and week, I, week three, week three. I'd much rather travel to Jacksonville than to London. Than to London, yes, sir. All right. Uh, can you mention a couple articles up on Russell Street Report? Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. So we got an article on the defense today. We'll have an off article on the playoff uh, situation tomorrow. Uh, and there's a nice uh, uh, set of pass rush uh, event by event out there. Uh, I, I just noticed there was something wrong with it that I need to fix, but, I, but we will be able to get that fixed and get it out there tomorrow so you can review kind of play-by-play play what we're talking about in terms of when do they get pressure and when do they not. If you want to go back to your to your game pass and look at that, you'll have that. Follow me on Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. Uh, appreciating the conversation during the day. Apologize to some of the fans that I can't, I can't respond always during the day on Monday. If you hit me up on other days, I, I, it's usually much better. I'm very active during the day on Twitter, but Monday is the, uh, particularly after a Sunday night game, is a writing day, and, and uh, apologize for not being as quick to respond today. How about your show, Josh? Uh, my show section 336 we come out a uh, new podcast every Monday night so uh, a little later tonight we'll be recording a new 336 and uh, we're going to talk about on the Ravens side of the ball we're going to talk about I want to bring up the question about this team and is it fair that we always compare the Ravens defense to the <laughs> Ravens defense of Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Haloti Nada, Terrell Suggs when those, that's a team of Hall of Famers and is it fair that that is who we always compare the Ravens to? Or is yeah. that oh, that's because that's a clearly that's a once in a lifetime team. You never have that ever again. But as fans, we constantly compare it to those those years, right? And then on the uh, on the baseball side, we've got to get into the Orioles stuff because uh, there's been lots of Dan Dutek t- talk this week. As the winter meeting started today, there's some rumors that the Orioles are interested in Matt Harvey from the Mets. Huh, I've not heard that. Yeah, he was a good pitcher a few years ago. He's been banged up since, so he sounds like he's right in the Orioles' uh, He's he's been through the Tommy John program, right? Exactly, yep. Okay. Yep, so uh, we're going to talk about that as well as uh, why we don't play the international market as far as the Orioles and the fact that we still only have two starters in our rotation right now and how are we going to address that. That is a lengthy top. I would think that's more than 30 minutes right there. Yeah, I, I, the show will definitely be an hour tonight, maybe a little over an hour, I, I would imagine. Okay, now, so. one of the things I like about Josh's podcast, and you guys will, will, will take a listen, I hope, is that with the nice commercial-free nature of these podcasts, you get dense talk from local fans who are really interested, and you know, we appreciate the, the great questions on this show, and I think you get the same from Josh's in terms of, of having really good, opinionated people there at the table to talk about it, and uh, it's just it's a good local sports podcast and one that that uh, doesn't mess around and doesn't pull punches. Thank you, Ken. Uh, well, we will talk about the offense because that was exciting side of the ball. So let's talk about them in like two days. Let's go, Josh. All talk right. to you then. Bye.
Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.